Edward Jones, who knows that just like life, financial planning isn't only about long-term goals. It's about the moments big and small along the way. And when it comes to achieving everyday financial goals, Edward Jones works hard to connect you with someone you can trust professionally and personally. That's why they created their free financial advisor matching tool to help you find a financial advisor in your community. When you take the quiz and get your matches, don't expect just a list of resumes. You'll also see each financial advisor's story and personal interests. And when it's time to meet for the first time, they'll focus on your story, asking questions to understand where you're headed and why. Because Edward Jones knows that at the end of the day, behind every financial goal is a life goal. And that's what really matters. To learn more and find your financial advisor partner, take the quiz at match.edwardjones.com. I'm Frank Holland, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show is live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your 5 at 5. We start with 5,000 and beyond. The S&P 500 hitting a key market milestone, and it's looking to push past that this morning. Futures are higher. We also take a closer look at the run-up from 4,000 starting nearly three years ago, and the possibly troubling signs fueling the rally, we're going to ask our power panel if you should be concerned. All right, we heard from Meta, Alphabet, and Amazon on their ad business. Now, Pinterest is warning of an ad spending slowdown, and that stock is getting crushed. Plus, Sam Altman and his mission to raise as much as $7 trillion for a new global AI venture. And then later in the show, Super Bowl and Super Stocks, the money pouring into the NFL ahead of this weekend's big game. It's Friday, February the 9th, 2024. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning and happy Friday. Welcome to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland. Let's get you ready to start the day. As always, we're going to kick off this hour with the check of U.S. stock futures with the S&P and the Nasdaq hitting all-time highs and the former crossing the key 5,000 mark for the first time ever. Taking a look at futures in the green across the board. Um, the S&P looking like it's on track to open up above 5,000 right now. We're looking at the Dow looking like it'll open up fractionally higher. The NASDAQ is the one that's really pushing the gains, at least in the pre-market. We'll continue to watch. Okay, ahead of the open, 53 S&P 500 stocks are hitting all-time or 52-week highs. We're talking American Express, Marriott International, Uber, Waste Management, and Microsoft. A mixed bag this week for the S&P 500 gainers as well. From Monolithic Power and Ralph Lauren to Disney, check out the week-to-date action. You can see right here um, a wide spectrum of gainers right here. Disney on the bottom up over 13%. We're also looking at the bond market this morning after yesterday's bullish initial claims report. Taking a look, we're seeing the benchmark 10-year right now at 4.17. And we're also looking at energy, specifically oil, coming off its best day since January. With uh, January 3rd, I should say, with gasoline on track for its best week since March. Taking a look right now. We're seeing WTI, the U.S. benchmark, up just about a third of a percent. Brent crude, the international, uh, up fractionally. Gas pulling back just a bit. Okay, that's your U.S. setup. Let's see how Europe is shaping up as this trading day gets underway and the overseas action in Asia. Germana Bersetti is in our London newsroom with much more on both. Germana, good morning. Good morning, Frank. Well, let's start with Asian equities. Uh, as we were flagging, uh, the Chinese markets are now fully closed for Lunar New Year, though it was a positive week by the end of the week for the Shanghai Composite. Hang Seng, a half day of trading today, uh, down about eight-tenths of a percent, so continues to struggle, as we saw in the last couple of days. Remember, Alibaba was one of the names that uh, was uh, pulling that index down. The Nikkei also in focus, up nine basis points by the close, but we briefly broke through 37,000 to the upside. That is the first time it breaks through that mark uh, 
in 34 years. So again, a, a key moment for the Japanese index. It continues to perform quite well. Over here in Europe, it is, uh, we're still very much in the middle of earnings season. So a, a lot of those individual companies are driving market performance. And as you can see, it is, it is a bit of a mixed bag. We've got the FTSE 100 trading just shy of 7,600. The FTSE MIB up about a tenth. We had Medio Banca report today. It is actually trading somewhat negative, pulling down the Italian index. Zetradax just shy of 17,000, about eight basis points higher. Siemens, one of the stocks that is dragging the index lower today. And then Kekarant in France, also in focus, down about two-tenths of a percent. A lot of luxury names reporting, and it is a tale of two halves. Hermes doing very well, up more than 5% after putting very strong earnings and actually uh, their desire to increase prices throughout the course of 2024. Compare that to L'Oréal, that stock is down 5% after some disappointing sales in China. So a mixed bag, Frank. All right, Jumana, thank you very much. All right, turning back to the S&P 500's push to close above 5,000. While it's often seen that the 1,000-point thresholds hold no real technical significance, they're often seen as a psychological milestone. And when cleared, can just add to the positive sentiment. For much more, let's bring in John Stoltzfus, Oppenheimer Asset Management Chief Investment Strategist. John, good morning. Great to have you here. Good morning, Frank. Thanks for having me on the show. All right. Well, John, obvious question here. Are you psyched up about the S&P 500 hitting the 5,000 mark or do you see some signs of concern in the market? Well, I I see both, actually. And uh, from our perspective, we look at it. Earnings season, Q4 earnings season for the S&P 500 has been thus far uh, much better than expected. Uh, Four sectors showing double digit earnings growth, and they include communication services, consumer discretionary uh, 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 information technology and utilities, uh, and you have uh, the the auctions are well. They get a little bit lucky here of the bonds. They still they're still selling U.S. bonds or there are buyers for them, and likely we believe uh, a continuation of innovation to carry this market. That doesn't mean we don't get some questioning of it, and that's natural. Okay, well, what are the questions then, John? Um, again, S&P 500 hit in the 5,000 mark, and we are actually seeing a broadening of the market. We've been talking about it earlier this week. We saw healthcare and also industrials hit highs. Yeah, we sure have. And the, and the good news about that in particular, you know, with industrials, this is the year that the big spend should really begin to flow through, uh, through the, uh, uh, the, all the spending that the politicians on both sides of the aisle have done in preparation of building infrastructure in the U.S. So this should be good for industrials. And the broadening of the market, really, to us, uh, we've been accumulators of industrial stock for quite a while, whether it's defense, whether it's commercial okay. airspace. Whether, you know, it's well, John, a lot what are the very- questions then? It sounds like we're everybody's on the same page. Market just moves higher from here, right? Well, you know, it, but the real question is, what, what about valuations? Also, we've had a tremendous run-up since October uh, of last year. Uh, with uh, with uh, the uh, technology uh, leading what has been uh, a very mostly a very narrow uh, rally, but the broadening is a good sign. Yesterday we've got to say when we looked and there was it was very uh, modest uh, gains uh, in the S and P and the industrials and and, and the Nasdaq, uh, but the smalls and the mids all of a sudden there was life there. So we think combination of good Fed Federal Reserve policy. Uh, we think fewer cuts, okay. more pause. That looks good. And business, the consumer, uh, as well as labor, all doing very well here relative to uh, where we are today 
I would say resilience remains the operative okay. word. Resilience is your operative word. I do want to ask you about your forecast when it comes to those Fed cuts. You're saying a total of 50 basis points to 100 basis points in cuts. You're certainly on the more conservative side of the spectrum. How does that impact the market? Does that, in your mind, the fact that we're only going to get those cuts when the market's expecting quite a bit more, does that hurt this, this long-term story? No, if anything, I think it keeps near term. It keeps people uh, it uh, uh, keeps people honest. It, it uh, reduces the potential for irrational exuberance at this point. So what we would we would think it'll be uh, a more a thoughtful broadening of the rally as we go forward. Less irrational exuberance. Interest rates are high enough. Some margin players, uh, the the deeply uh, levered players, are, are at least put off somewhat by okay. uh, that margin cost. All right, John Stolzfus, great to see you. Uh, excited about the rally we're seeing, but you say there are some questions about valuation. Thank you very much. All right, we got a lot more to come here on Worldwide Exchange, including the one word that investors have to know today. But first, no love for buy now, pay later as shares of a firm. They get hit pretty hard ahead of the open. Plus, look at the cash that's pouring into the NFL ahead of Super Bowl Sunday and the latest spending trend for the world's most valuable sports league. And later, the ripple effects on Boeing's midair blowout being felt in earnings of another travel stock and investors. They're just not too happy. We're going to give you that name and much more when Worldwide Exchange returns. Stay with us. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Brought to you by Eden Vance, the symbol of advanced investing. What's inside your ETF? With Eden Vance High Yield ETF, you know. Inside, you'll find smart bond selection from a specialized team with deep fixed income expertise. Get to know what's inside EVHY, the symbol of high yield done right, at EdenVance.com slash CNBC. Before investing, prospective investors should carefully consider the investment's objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. The current prospectus contains this and other information and is available at EdenVance.com. Read the prospectus carefully before investing. Not FDIC insured. Offer no bank guarantee. May lose value. Not insured by any federal government agency. Not a deposit. Investments involve risk. Principal loss is possible. Distributed by Foresight Fund Services, LLC. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. It's time now for your big money movers in the pre-market. We're going to start with Take-Two Interactive. You can see shares are sinking down just about 9%. The video game maker missing net booking estimates and issued some weak guidance. Earnings dropping by 17% due to weak sales of NBA 2K24 and a little bit of softness in the mobile ad market. But the company remains very optimistic about the sales of Grand Theft Auto V. And Take-Two CEO will have much more on the results coming up at 11.30 a.m. Eastern right here on CNBC. Cloudflare is surging this morning on robust earnings and guidance, revenue increasing by 32 percent. That's consistent with growth in the third quarter. The company signing its largest new customer deal and biggest renewal to date during this quarter. It plans to have artificial intelligence GPUs deployed in nearly every city, making up Cloudflare's global network this year. 
And Pinterest, under some pressure this morning, the social media company missing on sales and beating on earnings. Guidance also coming in light, and that's despite a newly announced partnership with Google that's similar to Pinterest app's app integration deal with Amazon. You can see shares of Pinterest right now. They're down more than 11%. All right, we've got a bonus big money mover for you this morning. We're talking about a firm. You can see shares are dropping pretty sharply after a 10% run-up going into the company's earnings yesterday. The buy now, pay later company reporting a narrower second quarter loss and a revenue beat. So they also beat on some other key metrics, including gross merchandise volume, which saw its fastest growth rate in more than a year, while delinquencies on its monthly installment loans, those were flat sequentially and year over year. Let's get more insight on the firm with Reginald Smith, senior analyst at J.P. Morgan. Reggie, good morning. Great to have you here. Good morning. Thanks for having me. All right. So going into earnings, I'm looking right here. You had a price target of thirty five dollars. You had a rating of neutral. Um, after this report, we saw some volatility in the stock. Has either one of those changed? Yes. Yeah, so uh, this morning we came out and we actually raised our uh, December 24 price target to forty one dollars from thirty five on the back of strong earnings that, that included uh, great momentum in spending and also really good operating leverage. So we're a little bit higher than we were uh, going into the, to the quarter. So let me ask you a question. Delinquencies, they were flat sequentially and year over year. We keep hearing about the stretch consumer, and that's why people are going to buy now, pay later. That seems like a pretty good sign that we haven't seen delinquencies move up if the consumer stretched. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think you can attribute that to two things. One, the company has done a really good job in their underwriting, and so they've been really tightening their credit box over the last four quarters or so uh, and doing a good job there. What I would point out is that relative to other uh, unsecured consumer lenders, uh, a firm is, is holding up pretty well. Most lenders have reported higher delinquencies the last few quarters uh, and are expecting them to go even higher in the next uh, next few quarters before they peak later this year. You know, speaking of the last few quarters, this was the holiday quarter. Uh, in your notes, you said a firm's actually dropped after the holiday quarter the last few years. Why is that? Yeah, I think it's a little bit of the uh, buy the rumor, sell the news. And so okay. the stock really went on a run this past December, uh, right after the uh, the, the Black uh, Friday and Cyber Monday uh, updates. Um, the entire fintech space kind of rallied. And what you tend to see with the firm is that people, uh, investors rather, uh, love the name around the holidays in anticipation of a good uh, fiscal fourth quarter report. And then they sell the news when it actually happens. And so, like I said, the last three years, the stock has been down on on uh, fiscal fourth quarter results. All right. I want to get a little macro with you. So um, we have a higher for longer situation. Doesn't appear to be bothering the markets at all. S&P hitting 5000. But what does it mean for a firm and the rest of the buy now, pay later space? We have credit cards hitting record high levels. At the same time, we're seeing an uptick in buy now, pay later. Sometimes people are even using it for grocery. That's the segment that seems to be growing. Just kind of sort it out for us. What is higher for longer and higher rates? What does it mean for this space? Yeah, it's a, it's a mixed bag, really. Okay. So on one hand, the higher rates allows companies like a firm to charge higher APRs. On the other hand, higher rates could, could uh, crimp consumer spending. But because this is a credit product, uh, you, send, you tend to see people kind of shift into these credit products as their budgets get kind of squeezed. And so it's, it's kind of a mixed bag. I think the key thing, though, is, is for all of these lenders is how do you manage your credit and how are you managing your underwriting? And uh, a firm uh, for the last you know, four quarters has done a really good job of making sure that the people that they're lending to are actually paying them back. <laughs> That's a pretty key thing to try to do right there. Uh, Reggie Smith, new price target, $41 a share for a firm. Great to see you. Great to have you on the show. Thank you. Thanks a lot. You are. All right. Coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, in this year's Super Bowl matchup, two teams hailing from major tech hubs, they are set to go head-to-head. We're going to dig into the battleground, 
to quiz the players on some of the most pressing issues today from the role of AI to the growth of sports betting. Uh-oh, this last one, to the impact of Taylor Swift. I think the Chiefs may just decline the answer. Much more Worldwide Exchange coming up after this. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. What's your expectation of a Fed rate cut this year? What was that? I think they're doing a soft landing. Timing-wise? Timing-wise, probably end of the month or early Q2. I hope it happens, honestly. Um, I bought my home last year, so I'm kind of, I missed the train on that. I think towards the later part of this year, maybe Q4, uh, we'll see a rate cut. Obviously, uh, Jerome Powell has continually fought against that, but I think he's just trying to signal the market not to get too hot. Crypto still has a part, for sure. Um, It definitely has slowed down. I was never with crypto and uh, just still learning about AI. I'm into into more crypto. I'm personally not a fan of crypto. I feel like it's too volatile for my uh, portfolio. As far as AI and crypto, I made a couple grand off of NFTs, but then I realized that they were like kind of scammy, so I stopped doing that. Technology is crazy. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if I have a clone sitting next to me in the next couple of years. You invest in the S&P, all of those 500 companies, plenty of them are investing in AI, so you cover your AI basis. You don't got to be too risky. Elon Musk as a leader, yes or no? I think he has shown the ability to build up companies, obviously. Um, He's a little eccentric, and so I could see as a shareholder how he would scare you, but I mean, he's a a genius. Yes and no, I feel like. I feel like he's, he created the entire company. His ideas are the reason the company exists. Um, But but at the same time, now I feel like he's, he's ready to move on from it. Which do you think has brought more fans to NFL, gambling or Taylor Swift? Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift, no doubt. <laughs> Taylor Swift. Um, I think it is sports gambling. Taylor Swift or sports gambling across the nation? I don't know, but that's a deadly combination. <laughs> you know, the Chiefs of Players, they did answer the Taylor Swift question. I was a little bit surprised. Uh, big thanks to our contestant, Brewer. All right, we're going to stick with the big game and the bigger bucks that are tied to it. Companies continue to bend over backwards and do just about anything they can to be part of the world's most valuable sports league. Our Julia Borston has a look at why that is and the latest sweeping trend that is sweeping the league. The NFL is the most valuable content in media, the highest rated programming, the priciest ad time, with rights deals worth billions of dollars more than any other sports league. The NFL's move to ESPN catapulted the rise of cable TV, and now its moves onto streaming platforms are having ripple effects across the media and tech landscape. There's a reason the NFL is so popular. It is the greatest spectator sport in the world. More and more people are moving to streaming, and something like the NFL can be the catalyst 
to get them to start to do that. An average of nearly 18 million people tuned in across TV and digital during the 2023 regular season. The highest ratings since 2015 and the second highest ratings ever. Nothing gathers America in front of a device like the National Football League right now. And the world's most valuable sports league has cashed in on its viewership with landmark deals. In 2021, CBS, Fox and NBC agreed to pay around $20 billion each for 11-year packages, with Disney paying nearly $30 billion for Monday Night Football on ESPN and ABC. If you're the most valuable content on those platforms, you're going to be the bulk of their investment. And that's what we are. And you can watch Julia's full piece on the NFL and its streaming strategy at CNBC.com slash game plan or on CNBC's YouTube page. For more on the Super Bowl ad landscape, let's bring in David Droga, Accenture Song CEO and creative chairman. He's created a number of Super Bowl spots for companies like Amazon, HBO, Newcastle, Sprint, and Coinbase. If you remember, it was the one with the bouncing QR code last year. David, good morning. Good to see you. Good morning. Thanks for giving me a reason to be up so early. Yeah, you know, I'm surprised you don't have like a suit on it. We were told you're the Don Draper of the ad business nowadays. Yeah, I don't know if that's a compliment, but I'll take it as one. Uh, maybe <laughs> well, me, there's a suit for me later. Maybe later. Maybe Okay. Let me ask you. you got two commercials for the big game, um, one for Coors Light with LL Cool J, very cool. The other one's for Paramount, the network broadcasting the game. So these spots, they cost about $7 bucks. What do companies, what do they actually get for spending all that cash? Well, they get a lot of, they have the potential to have enormous, enormous um, impacts. You know, they've got so many eyeballs on it. You have to remember in context, this is the one time of the year that the, 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 the whole nation is obsessed with the advertising. In fact, the, the game is when people go to the bathroom this time. It's sort of the worlds are reversed. And if you can stand <laughs> out in the crowd, it's, uh, it's, it's a big deal for attention for a brand. Well, I'm, I'm going to stay and just watch the game. I think I'm actually going to go to the bathroom during the commercials. Um, let me ask you about AI when it comes to it. AI is obviously a sweeping trend across pretty much every business, including yours. How does AI play a part in the ads that we're going to see this year and also how companies engage with their customers later? According to your data, 46% of Super Bowl ads, they had celebrities in them last year. That's a big run up from 2010. Are a lot of ad agencies using AI this year? And does that mean they put the data in and then all of a sudden we're going to see just a million celebrity filled ads? Well, I think the thing is celebrities have always been uh, a staple ingredient and it's, 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 it's almost a go to thing. I think with AI, there's no, it's probably going to have the most profound effect on advertising anywhere and globally. But I think for the Super Bowl, you're not going to see it yet affecting the content. I think it affects the everyday in marketing context. It's personalized. In the personalized space of customer service and being served ads on your phone, yes, it shows up. But at the moment in, 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 the, in the big game, you're not going to see it creating the content yet because there's too many hurdles, IP and trademark issues with the cre- creation of content. So I... I think you'll see it advertised. I think uh, Microsoft is advertising Copilot. I think Google will be advertising its pixel use of AI. Okay. They'll be talking about AI, but you won't necessarily see the content created by it yet. All right. So the content's not going to be created about it, just created by it just yet. But does it impact the ability of companies to engage with their customers after the game? Is there anything that AI does that makes these ads more effective? Because again, as we said, it's about seven million bucks. Well, that, don't forget, that's just the starting price for the media. Then you put in the actual content creation and the, paying the celebrities and making the film. So sometimes it's, you know, eight figures, if not more. I think, the um, yes, it's going to have a, a, a big effect because the, the number one goal, apart from getting the attention with this massive firework that they shoot off, which is the, your spot in the Super Bowl, 
is they want people to engage after that. So how can they create uh, participation or get more information? So AI is going to connect with them more and be able to personalize a lot of the content. So now you're seeing these big programs where it was once just one ad. There's so many layers to it where people can subscribe to things, people can connect with it socially, they reach out, and, and AI is going to very much personalize that to make those connections further and deeper. Because I think that's the thing. If you're going to spend that much money lighting that firework, that seven to $10 million firework, it's not enough just to watch it for 30 seconds. They actually <laughs> want to make sure that there's full bang for your buck, so to speak. All right. That seems like a wise decision. You definitely get the most bang for the buck when you're spending, you said, up to eight figures. Wow. Uh, David Droga, uh, you are the mind behind the Coors Light train ad with LL Cool J. You're the mind behind the Paramount ad. We'll have to wait and see both of them, or you can go online and see them ahead of time nowadays. Thank you for being here. Great to see you. Thank you very much. Nice to see you. All right, so ahead of the game, be sure to catch interviews with the CEOs of FanDuel, Paramount, BetMGM, and Caesars Entertainment. That's all today, right here on CNBC. All right, coming up, a look at the run-up from the S&P 4,000 nearly three years ago to 5,000 today and some of the troubling signs fueling the rally. We're going to ask our power panel if you should be concerned. And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. Much more Worldwide Exchange coming up. We're going to be right back. It is right around 5.30 a.m. in the New York City area, and there's a lot more ahead here on Worldwide Exchange. Here's what's still on deck. The S&P looking to officially close above 5,000 after briefly breaking above that milestone during the trading day yesterday. We're going to go under the hood on the march to 5,000 and what the drivers are for the S&P's run-up and the stocks that could push the next leg higher. And yet another company warning about Boeing's MAX 9 problems impacting its bottom line. It's February. February 9th, 2024, you're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Collin. Let's get you ready to start this trading day. As always, we pick up the half an hour with the check of U.S. stock futures with the S&P and the NASDAQ 100, both of them hitting all-time highs and the former crossing the key 5,000 mark for the first time ever, ever. Take a look at futures right now. You see they are in the green across the board as the NASDAQ making the biggest gains in the pre-market. Okay, ahead of the open, 53 S&P 500 stocks. They're hitting all-time highs or 52-week highs. That includes American Express, Marriott, Uber, Waste Management, and last but certainly not least, Microsoft, right now up a third of a percent in the pre-market. Kind of a mixed bag this week for the S&P gainers as well from the monolithic power of that company and Ralph Lauren over to Disney. Check out the week-to-date action right now. Monolithic Power, you can see up just about 16%. Disney, following earnings, having a very strong week, up over 13%. Ross, look at the bond market this morning. After yesterday's bullish initial claims report, take a look. The benchmark right now at 4.16. And we're also looking at energy, oil, coming off its best day since January 3rd, with gasoline on track for its best week since March. However, we are seeing a bit of pullback when it comes to gasoline right here on the bottom, um, down fractionally right now. And we're also seeing Brent crude turn around a bit. It was fractionally higher earlier now, basically flat to fractionally lower. Okay, that's your U.S. setup now. Let's get back to our top stock story, and that is the S&P 500 crossing above that key psychological 5,000 mark for the first time ever yesterday and looking to push even higher this morning. It's been nearly three years since we crossed above the last threshold. That was 4,000, of course, back in April of 21. Since then, there have been two major market themes. Of course, 11 Federal Reserve interest rate hikes to battle surging inflation and the breakout of AI and the Magnificent Seven. But there are some signs that the march to 6,000, it could expand far beyond big tech. Joining me now in our worldwide exchange, S&P 5000, 
power panel. We have Fundstrat Global Advisors, Global Head of Technical Strategy, Mark Newton, and Hightower Chief Investment Strategist and Portfolio Manager, Stephanie Link. She's also a CNBC contributor. Good morning to both of you. Stephanie, I'm going to come over to you first. Okay. Good morning. Good morning. So S&P's hitting 5,000. We've seen earnings surprise to the upside. We have seen a broadening. We've been talking about it all week. We've seen healthcare and industrials hit new highs. Can we just enjoy this? Or are there, is there like a pothole on this road to 6,000 that we need to look out for? <laughs> I just think we should enjoy this. It's really very exciting. And I think a lot of the reason why we have seen 5,000 and very close to it today is the economy is stronger than expected, much stronger than most people thought, and that's leading to better earnings. And you know, Frank, that stocks follow earnings on the way up and on the way down. And right now, they're going higher. And you're looking at about 5% for the uh, the fourth quarter, the quarter that's being reported now. I think for the full year, you're going to see upper single digits to low double digits. Uh, And that's a nice recovery from last year, where this time last year, we we're in the negative territory. So, and, it, and you know what's kind of exciting is it's not just top line or organic growth. It's also margins. Margins are expanding because of productivity, because of pricing power, um, and also because the supply chains are, have been getting fixed and inflation is coming down. So you have that really powerful combination of better top line, better margins, so you're getting operating leverage, and that's what's fueling the earnings picture. And, and that's okay. why the markets are doing what they're doing. Stephanie, I think you're telling a lot of people what they want to hear. We're going to go over to Mark. And Mark, you're not bringing bad news, but you are looking at the technical side of things. So you're looking at the S&P and the S&P equal weight and that divergence. But give me a sense. We all know that the S&P is really tech dominated nowadays, but weren't we expecting it to move higher because of tech? Is this a surprise to see this divergence? Yeah, thank you, Frank, and good morning, and hello to Stephanie as well. Look, look, I think the market is has started off on a little bit of a strange uh, start, according to start the year. Uh, technology, which we know has done phenomenally well as interest rates have come down and inflation has come down really since last October. It's really been the beginning of the year, the first month, where, you know, the, the equal weight S&P really is at the same level we were at back in December. And that's not necessarily bearish. And as you remember, we moved up about 700 points from October into end of year. So literally uh, a little under two months and the market's up, you know, about 20 percent very quickly. Uh, so that doesn't necessarily mean the market has to roll over, but it is important to see other groups start to participate. And we have seen that in recent weeks. We've seen evidence of healthcare now moving back to new all-time highs, industrials moving to new highs. Financials have started to participate. So while we're lacking in a few of the breadth metrics that we'd really like to see, we need to see indices like the Dow Jones transportation start to participate. But in general, um, it is a healthy market. I think institutions have been, uh, you know, really slow to embrace it and and really to chase a lot of the stocks that have carried this market. But that doesn't necessarily mean you have to sell it. As Stephanie said, we're in much better shape this year than we were last year. We just had the Russell 3000, which encompasses 95% of all stocks hit all-time highs, and the MSI World Index also hit new all-time high territory. So the market seems to be in a sweet spot. Earnings have come in better than expected. Inflation continues to come down. Now we're seeing a Fed that's on the verge of, of uh, cutting interest rates this year. Okay. So, you so know, there's a lot to talk about. So, Mark, I want to ask you a question. Um, you said institutional investors, they remain skittish, they're a little hesitant, but that's actually bullish for the market. Why is that? 
normally you want to look at sentiment like this from a contrarian perspective. And as of last week, we saw one of the largest outflows of SPY, the S&P ETF, than we saw since 2014. So that was really interesting, right ahead of the so-called Magnificent Seven earnings. So we've seen these, these rapid gains in many of the stocks that have changed all our lives for the better. But I think a lot of institutions have started to put on the brakes a little bit and said, well, you know, it'd be nice to see a consolidation and it's right to potentially take money off the table. It was an unusual, I think, exodus from the market uh, over the last couple of weeks. And if anything, it okay. just makes me think, you know, people need to see that consolidation, but does not necessarily we're not necessarily going to get it as soon as people want. OK, not going to get it as soon as we want. But overall, it sounds like you're saying the market's pretty healthy. Um, Steph, I'm going to come back over to you. You're looking ahead to what's become like a really key economic yeah. report, CPI. What do you think that could do yeah. to this road to 6,000? Is this, is this possibly? Could this be the pothole that, that a lot of people might be worried about out there? Well, it's a really big number next week for sure. Um, but I think we are going to continue to see progress, especially on the rent side of inflation. And so to me, I, I, just step back. We peaked at CPI at 9.1. We're looking at about 3.4. This report next week could be under 3. Um, and so that would be encouraging. And that is definitely in the direction of where the Fed wants to go. They want 2%. But if you look at other metrics like productivity going higher, employment cost index coming down, core PCE, all of it is showing progress. And so I do think, you know, that six times of cuts for the Fed, that's off the table for sure. Uh, is it two? Is it three? We don't really know, but it's coming. And that's okay. very good. And that's hopefully good for the broadening of the market. I just leave you with some themes for this year. Housing, cybersecurity, anything consumer related, onshore and aviation. There's plenty of ideas out there beyond tech, although I still like tech, too. All right, Steph, don't leave us just yet. we got a little bit more to go in the segment. But I'm going to come back over to Mark. Oh, great. <laughs> Mark, I want to ask you, uh, we talked about the market broadening. One of the things we talked about here on the show this week was healthcare care um, hitting a new high. The fact that healthcare is the second biggest sector, what does that tell you just about the strength of the market going forward and the possibility of it stumbling? Well, healthcare had been a laggard for quite some time in recent years. So, so to see this sector come back so rapidly, I think, is a very encouraging sign for investors. And it's one that, you know, normally is, is to some extent ignored. I think that we all have this focus on AI and technology, but to see groups like financials acting well, to see healthcare hitting new all-time highs, uh, very encouraging. The medical devices stocks look phenomenal. The pharmaceuticals are very good. The biotechnology group is, is a work in progress to some extent, but okay. the, the group, to me, uh, still looks quite attractive technically. All right, so it looks like we're uh, on a, a nice road to the road to 6,000, but there could be some stumbles here and there. Stephanie Link, we actually are done now, but you know we always love to see you. Mark Newton, great <laughs> to see you as well. You both have Thank great you. weekends. Thank you. Thanks, Frank. Likewise. You too. All right. We've got a market Bye. flash for you now. It's on Expedia. Shares are dropping more than 10% as the company warns. Revenue will moderate this year as airfares drop in the grounding of Boeing's 737 MAX 9 fleet. It is weighing on their bookings. Expedia also announcing CEO Peter Curran is stepping down. Being replaced by company insider Arian Gorin in May, Kern will remain on the board as the executive chairman. You can see shares of Expedia right now down almost 14 percent. All right, CNBC and Just Capital releasing the Just 100 list this week, revealing the corporations performing the best on American priorities like paying a fair living wage and creating jobs here in the U.S. While chemical and energy companies might not be the first industries that come to mind, a number of them are making the cut. 
Our Pippa Stevens is here with much more on this story. Pippa, good morning. Good to see you. Good morning, Frank. While energy and chemicals names are moving up the list, with Just Capital finding it's not so much an industry-wide improvement, but rather company-specific, especially around the two issues voters ranked as most important, that's workers and communities. Ecolab coming in at number seven, advancing from 21 last year and becoming the first chemicals name to crack the top 10. The company helps businesses conserve vital natural resources, including water, and has implemented career advancement programs for employees and has shown its commitment to DEI initiatives through comprehensive reporting. Marathon Petroleum taking the 46th spot, a big improvement from 2023's 173 after making big strides in the workers' category. The refiner now discloses wage data while also setting and disclosing gender, racial and ethnic diversity targets. Lithium miner Albemarle not far behind at number 55. It's first time in the top 100. The company has released more data around salaries and local job creation. Chevron and Devon also making the top 100. So, Frank, there's just one. Just Capital looks at companies across industries for a really comprehensive look at these various different policies. So, Pippa, let me ask you a question. Between these chemical and energy companies, it seems that transparency has become a key theme. Yeah, that's right, Frank. I think that the first thing here is that it's great to set a target, but until you disclose how you're doing on that target, it can a little bit be an empty promise. And so once companies disclose how they're doing, they can either say, look, we're meeting or maybe even exceeding our target, or this is an area that we have to improve on. And data actually shows that transparency is really, really key. So even if you do miss your target, It's better to be upfront about that and then outline ways you're going to do better. Of course, the caveat here being that companies that do disclose the data tend to be the ones that are doing better than average on those certain metrics. But the gist here is that the more the companies start being more transparent and disclosing this, the more other companies will say, hey, they're doing that. We need to, too. And then once you have these targets, disclose and then improve upon them. That's how companies can overall start becoming more just, Frank. All right, our Pippa Stevens live at the NASDAQ. Pippa, great to see you. All right, coming up, the massive amount of money OpenAI's Sam Altman is seeking from potential investors to try to reshape the global semiconductor industry. Here's a hint. It does not begin with a B. There might be one more comma than you think. We're back in just a moment. All right. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your morning call sheet. We're going to start with J.P. Morgan reinstating its coverage of Cleveland Cliffs, giving it an overweight rating and a $24 price target, about four bucks higher than it's trading right now. JPM saying that Cliffs should generate ample cash this year and over the next few years as it faces easing cost pressure and minimal CapEx requirement. A pair of price target hikes for Dick's Sporting Goods. Oppenheimer going to 190, citing the stock's discounted valuation. T.D. Cowan going to 177, citing gains in key demographics. All right, time now for your global briefing. Japan's Nikkei is coming off a 34-year high after very briefly passing the 37,000-point mark. A weaker yen and strong demand signals from Japanese retail investors, both of those driving the surge. The index up more than 10% since the start of the year. That bullishness, however, not helping Japan's Nissan. You can see here, shares are tumbling double digits on some disappointing third quarter results. Vehicle sales in China declining by 35% as more consumers they're shifting over to hybrids. The automaker sticking with previous guidance, citing updated foreign exchange assumptions from the weekend. 
And in France, Hermès says it will raise prices again this year by between 8 and 9 percent after their sales rose by 17 percent last quarter. The luxury brand logging strong growth in all regions, including what they called dynamic growth in China. Very different story for L'Oreal. You're seeing the stock move right here. Shares falling as the company reported lower than expected sales and pointed to a slowdown in demand in China. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, we have the one word that every investor needs to know today, plus the remaining earnings report. Our next guest is calling the main event for the markets and the push for fresh record highs. Also, a reminder, if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. And during February, CNBC is celebrating Black Heritage. As we head to break, here is Sharon Epperson on the opportunity around venture capital. Black-owned businesses secured a little over $2 billion in venture capital in 2022. That's a lot of money, but it represents less than 1% of the more than $200 billion pool of venture capital. Many agree this means there's more opportunity to invest in founders of color. Celebrating Black Heritage, I'm Sharon Epperson. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. We're taking a look at some of our big money movers from earlier in the show. So on the gainer side, we're looking at Cloudflare. You can see right now shares are up over 25% on the other side of the coin. Affirm down about 10% right now. Expedia down about 14%. They cited some issues uh, with bookings following the issues that Boeing is having with Max 9 jets. All right, time now for your WEX wrap-up. And we're going to begin with President Biden in a late evening press conference defending his mental capacity following a damaging report from special counsel Robert Hur that characterized the president as a, quote, elderly man with a poor memory. I know what the hell I'm doing. I've been president. I put this country back on its feet. I'm the most qualified person in this country to be president of the United States and finish the job I started. OpenAI chief Sam Altman is reportedly courting investors, including the UAE, for a new global AI chip manufacturing initiative that possibly requires raising up to $7 trillion. That's a trillion with a T. China's Baidu is partnering with Lenovo to feature its generative AI tech on Lenovo's upcoming smartphones. Lenovo is the world's largest PC vendor by unit sales. The U.S. says it's conducted new airstrikes targeting Yemeni Houthi rebels, destroying four explosive-loaded drone boats and seven mobile anti-ship missile launchers. They say the targets presented an imminent threat to ships in that region. Digital World Acquisition is reportedly nearing a $50 million financing deal as it looks to complete its merger with Trump Media and Technology Group, the owner of the former president's true social media platform. And watching shares of Arm Holdings after its 48% pop yesterday, and one that added $34 billion to SoftBank's coffers with its 90% ownership of the company's outstanding stock. Ahead of the open, Arm is now valued at 90 times forward earnings compared to 33 for NVIDIA and 46 for AMD. You can see shares are down just about 2% right now. All right, turn our attention back over to the markets and the S&P's fight to close above the 5,000 mark after crossing that historic threshold for the first time yesterday. Taking a look at futures, you can see they are in the green across the board. Joining me now is Victoria Green, G-Square Private Wealth founding partner and chief investment officer. She's also a CNBC contributor. Vicky, good morning. Great to have you here. Good morning, Frank. All right, we've been talking about this all morning long, Vicky. Uh, hitting 5,000, we're all on, technically on the road to 6,000 right now. How do you see it? Are we on, on just a, a straight path to 6,000, or do you see some possible bumps, potholes, whatever other kind of hazard yeah. could be out there? 
I'd say potholes, not cliffs. I think eventually the market doesn't go straight up. You've gotten this huge run here since the bottom in October. You're up 25% or so. And so eventually we're going to have to take another consolidation breather. But for now, earnings have been supportive. The Magnificent Seven are still leading. You know, you're seeing the earnings growth, which was necessary. We needed to see things justify the valuations they were trading at. So as we've seen that earnings growth come in, and Goldman recently mentioned this in a note, saying, hey, look, the Magnificent Seven can continue to run because they're having above average, above street revenue growth, which is demanding a premium right now. So not exactly bump free, but I definitely think the trajectory is still up. All right. So we're not going to hit 6,000 today. We may close at 5,000, but I do want to look ahead to today. What's your Wex word of the day? How do you see today shaping up? It's anticipation. After the arm earnings, everybody is going to put more focus on NVIDIA, and it feels like the main event on the 21st. But for us, it's all about anticipation and what's under the hood. This earnings season has been all over the board. Even within certain sectors, you've seen some companies do well. Look at just even quick service, where you had Chipotle do great, but Yum and McDonald's suffer. And so you look around and you say, earnings matter so much. What's under the hood? We've got Pepsi on board today, and we have a lot on board next week. So there's still this feeling of anticipation and excitement. And I think I think it all builds to NVIDIA on the 21st, especially after the arm holdings. Right. I mean, if there are two times what NVIDIA is, what, what do they have under the hood? Yeah, we'll have to wait and see. I think you're, I agree with you on this one. There is a lot of anticipation for next week. We also have a CPI read next week, but today we have a CPI revision. Is that an event for a CPI revision? We've been talking a lot about job revisions on the show, but CPI revisions, does that actually matter? I think it's a very light econ week. So a CPI revision this week tends to be a little bit more of an event, but I don't see it as necessarily a headliner event. Another data point, you know, we did get PPI and ISM. Um, and some of that that we're looking at is, you know, we looked at the prices paid this week and that was a huge data point that picked up. So all of these are little breadcrumbs, not necessarily main event, but certainly important data and uh, that investors should watch to see what, what sentiment might be moving up or down. All right. So we're having a pretty good earnings season right now. EPS coming in just about 7 percent higher than the expectations. One of your picks is a company reporting today. It's Pepsi. Why is this a good stock to buy today? What are you expecting from the report? So I'm hoping for a beat. It would be their 20th straight quarter of beats. They're known for being conservative with guidance. And they surprised the street in October with their last report where they raised their guidance for 2024, which was very rare for them. Typically, they don't do that until this earnings report. They've gotten a little bit of hate recently from some analysts saying, hey, look, they raised the bar. It might be too hard for them to pass. But they're such a conservative company. I cannot imagine they raised the bar without thinking they could beat it this quarter. I think they'll beat. I know there's some concerns on the Middle East, but their pricing mix and their snack portfolio, it's all about snacks. That's their highest revenue, highest grossing area of the business. And it continues to grow well. And as we hit Super Bowl Sunday, you've got Tostitos, you've got Lay's, you've okay. got Fritos, <laughs> you've got Doritos. It's all the snacks. Vicky, I'm getting hungry already. While we got you here, we got your stock pick very quick. Who's your Super Bowl pick? I'm putting you on the spot. I'm going to have to go Chiefs. I can't bet against Pat Mahomes. And I got to be Team Taylor Swift a little bit. There we go. Vicky Green, great to see you. That's going to do it for us. Squawk Box coming up next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.